You're listening to the Dad Whisperer Podcast with Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield. Be sure to follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find out more about Dr. Michelle at drmichellewatson.com. That's drmichellewatson.com. Here now is your host, Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield. Hello and welcome to the Dad Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield, and I'm so excited that you're here again today, especially if you're a dad who wants to add more tools to your fathering toolbox. My passion, as you know, is to help dads become heroes, and it's with that foundation that I invite you here today. I welcome you here today, and I know you are going to love the show today. Well, you know the grid that guides the conversation every week on your mark, get set, go. So dad, picture yourself standing side by side with other dads getting ready to run your fathering race this week. And I'm on the sidelines as your coach cheering you on and saying on your mark, get set, go. On your mark is the topic or the theme, get set. Going to fill that in with stories and with stats and go is always your practical action step so that you can put your love for your daughters and your sons into action this week. Well, today on the program, I have a guest coach joining me and his name is Dr. James Spencer. He's the president of the D.L. Moody Center and a leading voice in helping Christians to wholeheartedly follow Jesus and see the distractions of the modern world in a new light. James is a theologian, who specializes in biblical interpretation and the intersection of theology with other disciplines such as sociology, decision-making science, mega-studies, and organizational leadership and strategy. He's the author of a couple of books, first, Useful to God, Eight Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody. Another one is Thinking Christian, Essays on Testimony, Accountability, and the Christian Mind. And his most recent book is titled, Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. So James and his wife, Kim, have been married since 1999 and have three children, two twin daughters who are 14 years old, a son who's 17, and listen to this one, a two-and-a-half-year-old foster daughter. So this is a girl dad, if ever there was one. They live near St. Louis, Missouri, and it's such an honor to have him joining us today. Welcome, Dr. James Spencer. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Wow. Being a girl dad, this is really cool for me that we can even be talking not only about your expertise, but I'm going to drill you on how you bring this into real space with your kids. Sounds good. Okay, good. Well, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I read your bio and saw all that you've written, all the influence you had, I thought you were closer to my age, like in your (laughs) 60s, but you are a younger dad, you know, with teenage kids who is already really influencing our culture. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm 45, so I don't feel too, too young, but maybe that's just a, you know, it's the, a relative term, Yeah, isn't exactly. It? It's the totally. fruit of having three children. Yeah, there you go. Well, on your mark today is leading your daughter to navigate AI, the metaverse, and other digital technologies. Oh my goodness, there's a power pack title. So get set. I'm going to start now by quoting something you've said and then ask you to comment on it. So you said, James, that Christians should not be unconcerned about technologies such as artificial intelligence, nor should we be unreflective in our adoption and use of AI, the metaverse, social media, and other digital technologies. Oh my goodness, there's a mouthful, hence the title. So 
just what could you share from your heart, from your experience about what's happening right now with AI, artificial intelligence, maybe the positives and the negatives? Sure. So artificial intelligence is expanding and growing. We're seeing much more public access to these things. And my real concern, if we, if we make a distinction between broad-based use of AI and narrow use case AI, my concern is more with broad-based use. So let's take something like the addition of AI to Snapchat. It really doesn't seem like it would have any particular function in a social media platform like that. It's not being used for search. It's being used for you know additional interaction. They have it in TikTok as well. And so these AI models that are sort of being built in and we're using them just without any particular purpose, without any particular intention, those are my the ones I'm mostly concerned about. Now, the other side of it, where you have narrow use case, something like Conmigo. Conmigo's, okay, I have never heard of that. Yeah, what is that? It's, it's an AI that Khan Academy, which is a sort of an educational sort of platform that allows for free education and tutorial services for children. Mm-hmm. They built an AI, and that has an interesting, more narrow use case. Now, I still think we should be concerned about that, but I'm less concerned with that because it's got a clear purpose. We understand why it's being used, how it's being used. I think there's still philosophical and theological issues there. But ultimately, it's these broad-based ones where we're playing around with something, again, like we do with social media, where we really have no idea what the negative consequences are here. And this is being unleashed on our kids. It's being unleashed on us. And we seem to be fairly willing participants in this whole thing. So what could be the negative consequences? Because I know, like you said, having a purpose. My husband has had so much fun in the last, I would say, month just you know, coming up, putting in, hey, what are some names of titles or what's research on this person or this topic? So what are the downsides? So when I I actually wrote the guide that we put out, this uh, 20 questions on artificial intelligence for Christians. And people can find that where? Moodycenter.org, moodycenter.org backslash Christians and AI. Okay, excellent. And one of the things I did was I got on to chat GPT and I asked it questions. I and love so, that formal. Yeah, it was forum, great. Yeah. It was really good. I mean, and what you sort of learn as you interact with it is you have to ask clarifying questions, and there's a way you can push back on the on the AI, and it's interesting. It's it's actually like having a conversation with a real human being, which is great in one way, you know, sort of fascinating and interesting, and scary all at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, because it feels like you're having an, an interaction with an intelligent being. So... You can take that one way or the other. Right, right. But I think what, what one of the things I did ask the chat GPT was, what are some of the things that could be negative consequences for users? Addiction, That's a good question. Yeah, addiction came up top of the list. Um, you know, there were things like attention problems. There are things like, you know, misinformation and disinformation. You know, it's the same sort of things that we're seeing with social media and the internet already, and they're sort of out there rumbling. And as we think about how these dialogues could go with an AI that never really gets tired of having a conversation with you and maybe giving you misinformation or disinformation, we begin to understand that we need to approach this with a, not a, not skepticism, but with a guardedness and a reflectiveness that's appropriate for the medium that we're interacting in. Yeah. Well, one of the things I appreciate is that you were basically just saying is that we all tend to believe anything that we find right on yeah. the internet. Like, yeah. Hey, it, it says that it must be true. That's right. So what have you found, especially being a dad to teenage kids, interacting with, you know, other young, you know, millennials or Gen X, Gen Z, what have you seen as, as maybe a common vulnerability with that age in relation to AI? I think 
what I really see, and I'll call it intellectual laziness, but I, I want to clarify that a little okay. bit. So what I mean by that is there's a, a sort of moral framework that it seems like people are adopting, especially younger age individuals are adopting, that what I'm drawn to is what I ought to be drawn to. There's this sort of idea that if I'm, if I'm interested in it, then it matters. Mm-hmm. And that's all that matters. There's nothing now outside of me that should make this thing matter. And what I think that leads us to with these different technology platforms is sort of a self-indulgence right? that isn't particularly critical. As soon as I find something that reinforces what I already thought, I'm, I'm with it. I'm there. I don't, I don't have to think about it anymore. Uh-huh. And that's a problem for adults, but I think it's particularly a problem for younger people. So that would be one of the major issues that I have with the way these platforms are being used by teenagers, young adults. My kids, what we've generally done with my kids is we've said no social media except for a very narrow use case. And Which so, is limited time, limited platforms? Limited time, limited platforms, and there has to be a real reason why you're on it. So some of our ch- kids' sports teams, they use, let's say, like Snapchat, and they'll have group discussions on that. But we have a shared Instagram account, those kind of things, so we kind of monitor what's going on there. And honestly, we've, I think, just been sort of blessed. We caught this really early, and so our kids haven't been on social media for long periods of time. And they haven't pushed back. And they haven't really pushed back. So what do you say to the dad whose daughter's like, Dad, you don't get it. You're yeah. too old. This is where everybody's doing. What do you say to that, Dad? I think it's almost like any other parenting choice. At some point, you just weather the storm. Well, oh. I didn't have to weather this one. <laughs> You've <laughs> right? had others. Yep, I've had others. And so you just have to sort of weather the storm. I think that I, I have a tendency to believe, and, and, and this is sort of the way I frame the ideas around social networking anyway, yeah. is once you set these things aside for a time, God is going to meet you. He's going to meet your kids. If you get them involved in these other activities that are actually spiritually growing for them, as opposed to hindering their spirituality, mm-hmm. they're going to miss this social media thing a lot less. And so to me, it's about being intentional about what you want your kids involved with and putting them in the position to be involved with that, as opposed to just letting them sort of go out into this. It's, you know, social media is like windows to the world. And what we see is often unreal. But it, it almost feels just ex- real. It does feel yeah, real. Yeah. But I, I think it expands our, our scope of seeing other people, what they think the good life is, shaping our perception of what we think the good life is, and then ultimately coveting that good life. And, and so there's, there's a, an area where I think it's appropriate for use. I wouldn't deny it altogether, but we've tried to, to sort of manage it by that narrow use case idea. And I want to underscore something you said, James, which is basically when you say we, I know you mean you and your wife are yeah. monitoring. You're on, on some of these group Instagram platforms so that you all are seeing the same things. And I think so often, at least I don't mean this critically against dads or moms, but that they may say, this is my break from having to monitor my kids. I'm, I'm going to trust them to make wise decisions. But dads, you got to remember your daughter's prefrontal cortex, that front part of her brain where she makes good decisions and has reasoning and judgment is not fully formed till the age of 25. So it is foolish to just assume that your teenage daughter will make good decisions with what she's looking at. You've got to be invested, right? Yeah. In being more 
involved. Sit with her, right? Would you say that while she's looking at things? Sit alongside her. Show me what you're seeing. Show me what you're learning. I would. We've really tried to be involved in what our kids are interested in Uh and helping them to frame that rightly in their minds. I think we often think, you know, boys, you always think about the visual dangers of the internet, right? right? Pornography, those kind of things. But I think there's a similar visual temptation for the girls, It doesn't have to do with pornography and lust. It has to do with what they're seeing out there that they're comparing themselves to now. And I think I've seen that more with my girls than I have with my son. My son doesn't seem to care about that at all, really. You know, he's sort of more of a self-contained unit, more individualistic, Mm -hmm. and and doesn't really mind that he looks different than his friends or whatever, right? That's just not his concern. I know, right? But my daughters, they do care about that. And, And so we see that in just real life interactions, versus virtual life interactions. And so we've been very cognizant of how to manage that. I love that. Well, in the title, we talked about the metaverse. Yeah. What is the metaverse? <laughs> it's it's an idea that has yet to come to fruition, but there are a lot of companies working on this. So if you can imagine something like, we've seen movies about these different kinds of things. Uh, Ready Player One is probably the most recent one that has come out. And a completely virtual world where we put on headsets and goggles or we um, just log into our computer and we begin to interact and have real life type interactions in a virtual space. So we could buy and sell things. We can interact with other avatars, you know, so we're having chats with other people. And as AI sort of builds up, then we can populate these worlds with machines, essentially, like little AIs that we're interacting with as if they're real. And so the metaverse is, I I sort of liken it to um, the virtual shopping mall. Back in the day, we had shopping malls. And when I was a kid, you know, if you wanted to do something, you'd go walk around the mall. Right, right. The mall's this sort of self-contained area where they're keeping you in there with food and shopping and entertainment sometimes. And some of the ones I went to when I was a kid had trees, you know, and you'd have like a little botanical garden in the middle. Right, right. (laughs) It's all, you know, and it's all inside. And the metaverse feels like that. It feels like a a self-contained space where we're just going to try to get you in here, hold your attention, and then have you do various things within the metaverse that will benefit the metaverse creators. So I have been a therapist, mental health, right, for 27 years. And so I've been in the trenches with a lot of messy, complex trauma and different disorders from eating disorders to alcohol disorder, you know, issues and those kinds of things. And I've tended to see, James, that a lot of kids who are maybe more introverted, maybe socially challenged, don't do so well face-to-face in real time, in the real world, are drawn more to this alternate universe. What would you say to the dad that says, okay, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand. My daughter just is thriving because she she feels like she fits here or belongs here more than in the real world. How does he move the needle, perhaps, in leading her? I think a couple of things. I'd say, number one, don't walk into it as if what she's interacting with in the metaverse is the same as what she's interacting with in real life. I think that's a false sort of similarity between the two because you never really know who you're interacting with online. At this point, the permissions, the, the privacy, the, all of that kind of stuff isn't rigorous enough in my estimation mm-hmm. to really say, yes, this person who you're talking to is actually this person that you're talking to. And so don't think that you're in, the, in this realm where it's safe and everything is transparent and, and appropriate. So yes, there may be that she's having a better time online than she is in real life, but that could be very well because the people online are tailoring or catering 
uh-huh. conversations to her in ways that you really wouldn't want them to be. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. And so it that's troublesome. But I would say the other thing is, you know, I don't think we want to lose real world interactions. So background of theology, right? We're all born, made in the image of God. And I think part of that is just learning to navigate the real world in which God has put us. And so helping a daughter get used to and find her niche within this real world, even if it's a little more narrow. I mean, I've... Some members of my family are really introverted. Uh And so there's a time... my wife is introverted. So there are times where we're out with friends or out at a party or what have you, where I just know she's giving me this look like I need to be done now. <laughs> yes. And so then we move on. The look. I don't view that as a problem right. that I need to solve. It's just she's at the limit of her interactive, you know, where she used to feel comfortable interacting. And so we move on with life. Yeah. I don't see that as a detriment. And I think that a lot of times we're judging our daughters based on what we think they should do as opposed to helping them explore the limits that they actually have just inherently. And that's where I would encourage dads to do is help them encourage the limits that they have inherently, maybe push beyond those a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But if you're the boisterous guy at the party who's just always out there and has a lot of friends and is doing all this stuff, don't necessarily think that your daughter's going to be that. Yeah. Yeah, come alongside her with the wiring she has. That's right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. James Spencer. Are you a dad who has ever desired a deeper connection with your daughter, but haven't known how to go about it? Let's Talk Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters is the very resource you need. Dr. Michelle wrote it with you dads in mind. This book will support you with scripted questions, equip you to decode your daughter, and inspire you with stories of other dads and daughters. Don't wait any longer to be the hero you want to be and that your daughter needs you to be. So, to let the talking begin, head on over to drmichellewatson.com forward slash books and order your copy today. This book will become a favorite in your fathering toolbox and will give you the answers you've been looking for. That's drmichellewatson.com forward slash books. Now, back to the Dad Whisperer podcast. Welcome back. I'm here today with Dr. James Spencer, president of the D.L. Moody Center and author of his most recent book titled Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. Okay, well, I want to ask you now about something that you recently spearheaded called Go Dark, Shine Bright. Tell us what that was. And I would love dads, you know, maybe for your ghost step today, some of the things you've already heard will be something that you will say, that will be my action step. That will be my go step. But maybe it will be following in your footsteps, Dr. James, to do something like this in, in, your, in your home, with your family, with your daughters. Yeah. So Go Dark Shine Bright, this is the third year we've done this campaign. Over the three years, we've done more than 75,000 people through this campaign. It's either a five or a 10-day social media fast. That's the Go Dark portion. Uh-huh. So we ask people to just stay off social media. And this year, we even expanded it to any media that you felt was hindering your relationship with Jesus Christ. Just fast from that for 10 any days. Any media like what? Because this is the other digital technology oh, part I, of the yeah, title I mean, today. I don't have a particular social media problem, but I love streaming shows. I, I kind of grew up on TV and movies. Yeah. And so I can sit there and have just something on playing in the background and not really even notice that I'm watching it 
you know, incessantly. Thank you for being honest and about so, that. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> it is what it is. And so, you know, for my fast this year, I didn't really have much on social media I needed yeah. to get away from. So that was an easy one. But then I also stopped streaming my TV shows for five days. And so no television for five days, basically. And your daughters, obviously your son too, got to watch you. Yeah. Give that up. Did they say anything? Yeah. I mean, they always know that the campaign's going on and they always see what I'm not doing. And so there's a lot of teasing and ribbing that go on, you know, oh, I'm going to go watch TV, dad kind of stuff. Right, right, right. But, you know, they also recognize that when I'm not doing the TV stuff, I'm doing something that's spiritually formative. I'm going through, I'm reading my Mm -hmm. Bible, I'm praying. Like they're seeing me replace this, this thing that is not always in and of itself bad, right? But they're seeing me replace it with something that's so much better. And so that's been a great thing. And so, yeah, Go Dark, Shine Bright. Like I said, it's been going on for three years now. The Shine Bright portion of the program, so after you're done with your social media fast, the idea is that you're going to testify as to how God came and met you during the fast. Uh uh And so that's the Shine Bright portion. So we've had people go out on social media and talk about what, what God has done in their social media fast. Folks can download the official campaign. Usually happens in May, so we just finished it up. But we leave the materials up all year. Oh, cool. And so they can go to godarkshinebright.org and find that stuff, download it. And there's 10 days worth of devotionals there. There's, you know, a structure that they can use to jump into the fast. And we've made it as easy as we possibly can. Well, what I love about that is that I am all about equipping dads to lead. Right? I I found that often men would rather do nothing than do it wrong. Yeah. And so when dads go, well, I don't know what to do to do it right and I would rather not fail. So he, he sometimes just then is stuck in a passive position. Yeah. And why I titled this today, Leading Your Daughter to Navigate you know, AI, the Metaverse, and other digital technologies is yeah. so that dads can step up and lead. And you're saying you can go to this website, Go, mm-hmm. go Dark, Shine Bright, yeah. and download exactly what you need to lead a fast in your home. And then I I remember years ago reading this quote that has stuck with me about, it it had to do with teenagers, but I think it could be any age, where these teens said, adults are always telling us what to say no to, but Mm -hmm. no one's telling us what to say yes to. And you don't want to just take something away without replacing it with something proactive. So dad, what if you did a 10-day social media fast and before you did it, you wrote out 10 daily activities that you as a family are going to do together or you and your daughter are going to do together. Yeah. I'm telling you, like you said earlier, real time interactions are going to always trump this other alternate universe, right? I agree. And I think that's the real heart of the program. When we first came up with it, what we were trying to do is figure out how we can get Christians to pray more. And so what we decided was that prayer was in competition with social media, with shopping on Amazon, with doom scrolling, with, you know, all these other things you can do online. Uh And we said, what if we just challenged people to take a break from those things so that they can engage in these things? And so it's about getting rid of what's hindering and putting in what's helping. I love that. So I love the idea of planning out 10 days of activities. That's a great idea. Well, you even put here, here was a quote on, on your website. The goal is not to abandon social media entirely. That's right. But to encourage thoughtful engagement instead of detachment. Yeah. Which is really what you're saying. It is. And I mean, I think what we've recognized is that social media starts to feel like it's an essential part of our lives. You know, like we couldn't give it up even if we tried. Not true. Not true. If we just give it up, you find it's like, oh, I don't really need to know what my friend's cat did yesterday. (laughs) 
Like my life is just as rich without that information, right? And so That's hilarious. it doesn't make any difference. And, and so it, it actually, you can add value to your life by sort of putting these things in their place and saying, I'm going to use Facebook or Instagram or whatever other social media platform you might be on for this specific purpose yeah, and no other. No other. And now you don't get drawn into this sort of, I don't know, it's, it's sort of like a deep pit that you can fall into, right? right? Where you just keep following the rabbit trail, following the rabbit trail. If you have a purpose and you have an intention, you don't do that. Well, you know, one of the things you, you just mentioned was not even shopping on Amazon. I wouldn't have even thought of that. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. I go and quick order a book or order this thing. If I'm in a fast, oh my goodness, you're totally challenging me to think broader than, than maybe just Instagram or just Facebook. Yeah. That's one of those things that I learned through trial and error, honestly. Giving up social media was fairly simple for me. I didn't, I didn't have... I was never that big a fan anyway. Okay. Okay. Um, But what I found was when I gave up the social media, I was still tempted to go on and do like sort of the instant gratification sort of shopping. Like, oh, wow, I'm reading a book and look, this, this, uh, this is my big weakness. All right. I write down the books that I want to purchase, you know, in in the margins or whatever. And I'm like, I could just go on and get this one. It's almost easier to do it right then. Because then then it's not on your to-do list. You won't forget. You won't forget. So, I, I mean, that was part of what I did that first year when I realized that I was doing it. I was probably four days into the fast and I realized, man, I'm still sort of crowding God's word out here because I'm constantly jumping out Yes, to go on to Amazon go. and be like, oh, I'd love, to, I'd love to read this. I'd love to read that. And so I stopped doing that for the other six days of that first year that I did it. Uh-huh. It was pretty fantastic. So did your kids do it with you? They do, yeah. They do yep. this with you? Everybody does. What and have you learned? What have they learned? What have they said they've learned? You know, I think it's, it's an interesting thing because my family, we do a lot of activities together. But when we do these fasts, it's even like more time together. And what I notice is that the the kids are less on their phones. You know, my son is less in his room. 17-year-old boys tend to lock themselves away, right? And he's got friends that he, you know, plays games with online right. and stuff like that, which is great. But, you know, if we can take these, this year it was only five days. And it was really nice. It was nice to have everybody yeah. together. It was nice just to take a break from the technology and know that we can do that. Yeah. And, and then people sort of renormalize. And so the way I view it is it's sort of like a nice check where we can start to get, you know, you go deeper and deeper, more time, more time, more time in the technology. And then at some point you're like, okay, we're a little too far gone. Let's take five days off. Let's reset life. Do you do that more than once a year? We have, yeah. Uh Whenever we start to notice, and I'll start to feel it probably slower than my wife does. Okay. Right. But you know, at some point you do, you do, you get used to seeing your kids' faces in their phones and it's like, you, you know, you only see half their Half their or face. they see half your face. <laughs> they see half our right? face. Both ways. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those challenges. And, and I would say some of the things that I've done to follow up on the fast. Oh, great. My phone, I have it on, uh, there's this really great setting. You can, like, silence all unknown callers on your phone. Uh-huh. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't either. It's been awesome. <laughs> no more spam calls. I barely get any notifications on my phone. I usually just use a block technique where I say, okay, I'm going to check my emails at this time of day, and that's it. The texts I have all silenced, except for my wife has special vibration, uh-huh. you know, so I know it's her, and okay. I can pick it up, and, you know, kids have the same thing. And so I really don't pay much attention to the notifications on my phone the rest of the year. Yeah. And that has been fantastic. That cadence of life where I'm, like, not under pressure to text somebody back the minute they text me. Right. Awesome. And so all the notifications kind of off, all the notifications off of my computers. 
And then when you're home, especially when I'm home, especially, and I work from home, so I'm always home. Okay. Um, And, and so that's been the interesting part is for me is putting those boundaries on the technology Uh and saying, I'm going to control how I use this technology. The technology is not going to control exactly how I interact with the other way around. Well, before we wrap up, I want to just address the mental health side of this because I read something where you had talked about that, you know, that there've been recent insights, obviously we can Google that and, and speaking of being on our computers and believing what we read, but I, I think there's enough confirmation about the potentially negative effects of all of that constant input of technology on our yep. brains. Yep. Anything you want to say about that? I would just say the, the APA, the American Psych- Psychological, Psychological Association. Association. Thank you. Yep, that's um, mine. <laughs> they just put out mental health advisory for social media and adolescents. I think it's definitely worth a read for parents who are kind of looking for some of the things mm-hmm. that are challenging there. The one thing I would say is, well, two things I would say. Number one, the APA report seems to make social media feel like it's inevitable. I don't agree with that. I think the first thing that every parent should do if they're noticing some of these signs and symptoms with their kids is to kind of go cold turkey, cut off the social media, and reset expectations because it, it really does help. It helps get past mm-hmm. that little piece. And the second thing is, you know, I, I think, you know, sometimes when we hear a mental health concern or a, a health advisory, we can go alarmist on it. Yeah. And I just encourage Christian parents, just be calm, take appropriate steps, think, you know, don't rush to judgment. Don't, you know, throw the phones away. Don't, don't yeah, go, but don't go crazy, but be intentional yeah. and take some real clear steps to help your kids not fall into some of these traps. And like you said, let them push back on you. I mean, yeah. that's a given. That's right. part of adolescent development or actually a lot of right. our development, even in our 20s. That's but, right. Right? It's real life. Okay, last question. I love to end with a go step. Okay. So here we are at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference, and it's funny that we're talking about media, media. ways yeah. of reaching people, and here we are in real time saying, okay, it's not all good. It's not all bad. Be wise. Be intentional. So if you were to give dads one action step, because I know a lot of dads are overwhelmed with this space and all there is and all the complexity and the pushback from their daughters. So if a dad wanted to step up and step in to lead his daughter more strategically in this area, what would you say? I think the number one thing that I've found helped was to engineer a break for the family, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. It doesn't mean you have to go on vacation. It doesn't mean you have to take a trip or anything like that, but it just means that you're going to fill something in, do something for five days, six days, even three days. Yeah. Right. That will just pull everyone away from technology. I found not making it about them was really helpful. It felt like when I made it about them, it felt like I was attacking them or they were doing something wrong. And that's not really what it is. It's just about all of us refocusing our lives and reorienting to something that is more Christ-like than social media usually allows. So that would be my uh, encouragement is for dads to take that time, find something where the whole family can sort of step away from this and reorient and reset. Love it. Where can people connect with you? They can find all of this information at moodycenter.org, moodycenter.org. And if they're looking for the Go Dark, Shine Bright information, they can go to godarkshinebright.org. I love it. Well, On Your Mark today has been leading your daughter to navigate AI, the metaverse, and other digital technologies. Get set. You've heard lots of information from our guest today, Dr. James Spencer. So thank you so much for being with me. 
I know that we all are gaining more insight into this area. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, this wraps up another week's program. It's been great to be here with you all. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield, the Dad Whisperer, signing off and encouraging you to make today a day where you intentionally and consistently invest in pursuing your daughter's hearts. Go Dads. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Dad Whisperer Podcast with Dr. Michelle Watson-Canfield. If you're looking for more resources to support the father-daughter relationship, or if you want to connect personally with Dr. Michelle, you can find all the information you need at drmichellewatson.com. That's drmichellewatson.com. And remember, you can listen to the Dad Whisperer Podcast anytime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And while you're there, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you again on the next edition of the Dad Whisperer Podcast with Dr. Michelle Watson-Canfield.